Our scripture this morning is taken from 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away because all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, he reconciled to God. For he has made him him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Melvin Newland is a preacher that's an older preacher at this time in Texas. He remembers a scene that's vivid in his mind. It was an evening. He was six years old. He was the son of missionary parents. They were only allowed to be in China where they were because his parents were medical doctors. And he was on the border of China and Tibet in a little village where over half of the children, by the time they were 10 years old, would pass away. They believed that their children were dying because of demons. They knew nothing about hygiene, cleanliness, and any kind of of precautions that would be fundamental to you and I today. But yet he was doing good in that community, and the officials were of great appreciation. And he heard his father talk about the fact that the officials, dignitaries, were going to come over to the house that night. And he asked his father, he said, can I stay in for that meeting tonight? He said, I don't really know why dad said that I could, but I did. At six years old, I sat in that meeting as they made inquiries of my father and why he was there and what his work was all about. He said, when he answered all the official questions, he said, then finally my father said, but I want to tell you the real reason why I'm here. I want to tell you that it's not the almighty God that's killing your children. It's the almighty God who loves you. And he wants to take care of you, not only now, but for an eternity. And then he told the story about how God so loved the world that he sent his only son to live upon this earth. 
And he talked in detail about the life of Jesus on this earth and about his crucifixion and about his burial and about his resurrection and about the fact that Jesus is going to come again and that he wants us to live forever with him and the Father in eternity. And as he got part of the way through this beautiful story of the gospel, the oldest man was sitting in the back of the room and he began to say, at first it was very softly and very slowly, but he continually said, it's not true. It's not true. It's just not true. At first it was so softly that only those right next to him could hear. But eventually it got louder and a little bit faster until even those in the front of the room could hear. And so then his, his father, Melvin's father said, sir, what, what are you saying? And he said, it's not true. It's just not true. And so he said in response, it is true. God does love you. God loves this community. And God did send his son. And he recapped again the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And each time he said, it is true. And when he finished, the old fellow said again, it's just not true. And finally his father said to him, why? Why would you say that that is not true? And Melvin said, I'll never forget the sentence that man spoke in response. If that story were true, we would have heard that story a long time ago. Does it sound too good to be true? And if it is that good, do you and I care if people around the world have never heard it? You would think that a story that great would spread like wildfire. You would think that if people really believe that God so loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son and that he's resurrected from the dead and he has power over the grave and that he wants us to live with him for eternity. No one, no one would not tell that story. If you really believed it, would anybody at your work not know the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and the fact that he's coming again? If you really believed it, would anybody on your street not know about Jesus Christ? If you really believed it, would anybody in America not know the story? Oh, they don't have to respond to it, but they at least ought to hear it. Should there be any fragment of the world that doesn't hear a story so beautiful and so powerful as the story of our resurrected Lord? No wonder when some people hear it for the first time, they can't believe it because would people really not tell a wonderful and beautiful story like this? As we think about the opportunities that God gives us to be involved in spreading the story. For all of us, it's maybe someone in our very own family. It may be someone we work with or a neighbor next door. But also for all of us, God has given us an opportunity as a congregation. As a matter of fact, God continually gives us multiple opportunities. And next Sunday is going to be Missions Emphasis Day. And, and, and we will be studying in the sermons about mission work and the importance of souls, just like we're doing this morning. But especially next Sunday, we want to take the opportunity to try to make a great investment in the work in Ukraine. 
It's not that Ukraine is more important than any other mission work that we do, but it's just that they are at a point in time where they have a great need and we have the potential to be able to use our resources to fulfill a need that would be abundant in their blessings today, but also for the generations to come there in Ukraine. I want to spend the first 10 or 15 minutes at least this morning to tell you the opportunity that we have next Sunday. And I hope you'll think about it. And I hope you'll pray about it. We have several here in this congregation that have traveled to Ukraine throughout the last several years. And, and I know people hesitate, and I don't want to embarrass anyone, but I'm doing this because if something is said today and you have interest and want to know more, I want you to know who you can ask. If you have traveled to Krasnomysk in Ukraine, uh, would you stand at this time? And, and this is only going to be half because there's another services. But I want you to look around at these individuals. And God bless you and thank you uh, for what you've done. But I want you to talk with these individuals. I want you to ask them about the work there. And, and I want you to really give careful consideration to what you can do this next week in making an investment in the work there. You see, in the early 90s, the Iron Curtain fell. And we had the opportunity in America that seemed too good to be true. We could take the gospel of Jesus Christ and Christians and preachers and American missionaries loaded up and they, they spread the gospel all over Ukraine. And the opportunity that Mount Juliet had, Steve Hale was the minister from Mount Juliet at that time that went over in the early 90s. Miss Ann Craddock, I think, was a part of some of the earlier trips. Miss Nancy was also, uh, Miss Nancy Hackney was a part of, of the early trips. They made a great impact upon the lives of the individuals there. And a congregation of the Lord's church was established. A congregation that 19 years later is still meeting. A small group of around 20 that love the Lord and their faith has been unfaltered. They are dedicated. We're not talking about a work that started last year, even though if a work started last year, that's great. But we're not talking about something that just started last year that's a flash in the pan. You say, I wonder if they're going to make it. They have proven their love and their devotion, their dedication to God. And then through the years, we appreciate so much Tony Huddleston and David Fleming and others that have continually stayed in touch with this congregation, which by the way, we have continued to support financially to help them all throughout the years. And so we have a rich, deep heritage with the young the, the Christians there, knowing them when they were first Christians, when they were young Christians. And we appreciate so much the opportunity that God has given us because it's been a true blessing. So what's the challenge? On this next slide, I want you to see a picture of the church family of which we talk. Now, you may say, wait a minute, that looks a lot like some of the people of our church family. That was taken when one of our teams was also visiting with them. And you'll notice that that is in the preacher's apartment. Or wait a minute, or is that in the auditorium? It's the same thing. It's very difficult for them to even fit into the space in which they worship every Sunday morning and every time they come together during the week. The preacher and his wife, their bedroom serves as the children's class. And it is something that they long to have a place that would be a more effective tool for them to reach out to their community. 
a place that would provide room for them to grow. I want to offer to you some quotes from several that have gone on these teams that they have seen, what they have experienced. Why, why do they need another building? Melissa Barca just gives a quick list and she says they need a place to do ministry, a place where they can reach out in the community. They need a space for new members when they come in right now, there's not enough room. They need status in the community and don't misunderstand that. Realize that every community has culture, you know that. And because in, in their culture, the Orthodox Church, the Russian Orthodox Churches that they were a part of before they were converted and so many that they're trying to reach, they see huge, ornate buildings. And oftentimes, whenever they learn that they're being invited to a church that is in the third floor of an apartment complex, people think that they're a cult because they haven't seen any kind of church that meets in a private place in those kind of conditions. And it really does make it harder for them to evangelize. And then this one breaks my heart. This one puts a lump in my throat. They'd like to have a place where they could worship and sing out loud whenever they want to. There are times that they have worship services that they can sing very little or if at all because they're not allowed by their landlord and by the neighbors that don't appreciate them singing. Sissy mentions the fact that they've been faithful for 19 years and they're a wonderful congregation. Matt Brown mentions that their surroundings only allows for about 20 people. And so there's literally no more room to grow. He says, if we could fulfill the need of helping them attain a building, he says, I feel this is the biggest contribution we can make to reaching souls in Ukraine at this present time. Greg Cole says, I think it's critical that they have a place that they can take ownership of and identify as their church home. Buddy Pickler says they've had several landlords and have to move various times and it's just been difficult situations throughout the years for them. Listen, we're talking about a congregation that's blessed in many ways. They love the Lord. They love each other. It's not that things are, are dire and are falling apart and we must rush in and give them a place to worship. They're doing well, but they know and believe that they can do so much better if they could have the tool of a building in which to worship and to reach out to the community. On this next slide, you see a picture of, of the apartment complex there in the distance, but you also see a couple of pictures of, of the park. And the reason we're showing you that is oftentimes that's where they have to go. If they're going to spread out at all, they have to go to the park in order to have room with if they have teenagers or if they have uh, other classes they're going to meet that would be larger than what their apartment would hold. But also when we think about how well they're doing, one of the great things that is a huge blessing in, their, in the life of the congregation right now is that Sasha and his wife, the minister and his wife on this next slide, you see they also have taken in uh, her niece, uh, 12 years old, that needed a place to live. And they are a tremendous couple. They are doing a great work. And I'll state the obvious you need a good minister. I know you guys are doing a good job without a good preacher, but most congregations need a good preacher. And especially when we look into a mission field where there are a lot fewer leaders and there is so much that has to be done, if you will, in, in a self-starter and someone that really does try to reach out. And this family does that. 
this family is dedicated to the work and it is a beautiful and wonderful blessing that God has given us uh, and given this congregation uh, the, the, this couple. Sissy Pickler says he's a hardworking young preacher and he really tries hard to grow the church. Tony Huddleston says Sasha is a talented minister of the gospel and is doctrinally sound. He's enthusiastic. He really tries to reach out to the community. Each year he takes 15 of their young people to a camp and, and the camp is called Camp Americrane which is sponsored by Church of Christ in Alabama. Their family and, and the church goes out to his shelters and to orphanages regularly. They truly try to reach out and make a difference. On these next slides, you see a picture of some of the young people that they constantly reach out to and form relationships with. On the next slide, you see uh, the young people also with some of our mission teams that have been there. And Tony Huddleston says some of the times that he treasures his times working with these young people and how they love even the older the young people, they still enjoy the crafts, the Bible classes, singing together. And there are times of the fun singing together, uh, like when Phil Wagner taught them the hippo song in English. Even though they didn't speak English, they still liked it. And when Andrew Phillips taught them the Chicky Chicky song, they've had a lot of good times together. And those people love the Lord's church. And think of the future if those people are brought into and when they... Uh, grow up and have their own families continue to be a part of the Lord's church. On this next slide, all you can do is look down at the lower left-hand picture and say, Melissa, what in the world are you doing? It looks like she was trying to mug two Ukrainian girls and they're getting the best of her or she's been intoxicated and they're trying to help her. She's probably going to try to say she was playing a dizzy game with them. But it is just a reminder of still that with youth, comes a lot of energy, but also with youth comes a lot of hope for the future. And that's what this congregation has, is a lot of hope for the future. In the next slide, we see another picture of our Ukrainian team and standing beside an apartment complex. The next, you see the ladies gathered together on this next slide, seeing the teddy bears being uh, made and, and the, just the fact that they truly do love each other. On this next slide is one that you've seen earlier. And I just want to take just a few moments here and I want you to see that we're not just talking about a building. We're talking about a church family. Who are these people? These are people who love to sing and study God's word together. They love each other. They love to fellowship. They love to share meals together. They love to talk about life together. They're people that have come and struggled through adversities together. Some of them, it's very difficult for them just to get to service. And when they get there... They have to climb three flights of steps. And many of these are older widows that just refuse to give up. And they live for Christ every day. Several of them are the only Christians in their families. Several of them have overcome sickness and even rejection from their family. They still, even in their poverty, they give to orphans and truly strive to help each other. There are people like Sister Valentina that she's passed away this past October. But when she shared relationships, not only with the people, there are brothers and sisters there, but the brothers and sisters here, she touched their life in a very impactful way. I'm not for sure if it was Sissy or Melissa that told about the time that when they arrived, her son-in-law had died the week before. And they sat and they cried together. And then this last October, she's passed away. 
And our sister here says, I just look forward to seeing her one day in heaven. Don't take that lightly. Think about that. We're reaching souls. We're reaching souls that we'll be able to spend an eternity with. Who are these people? These are our brothers and sisters in Christ. These are people that they are people that are reaching out to bring in more brothers and sisters in Christ. There are several young people that have been baptized. Even the preacher's father-in-law has recently been baptized. There are also people that they don't feel defeated. They're people that have hope. I love what Matt Brown said. He said that there's a plastic tub in the corner of their auditorium, which means the preacher's living room. And he says, it has written on it, building fun. And he says, there's really not a lot of money in it. I think over the years, they've been able to save up $1,500. And he says, there's not a great deal of money in this jar. And honestly, I doubt there'll ever be unless fellow brothers and sisters here are willing to help. This jar and the money was more than a building fund to these people. It was a symbol of hope. You know, the Lord talks to us about a mustard seed of faith. And he talks about how that mustard seed of faith can move a mountain. And God can do things without us, but God does a lot of things through us. And I hope that you see what we're inviting you to participate in this next week is that for years... A congregation of people have been patient and they have patiently prayed to God over and over constantly in their prayers. They pray for a place to worship and it's their mustard seed of faith that you and I have the potential to give generously and to give liberally. And because of God's blessings that he has given us, we can be a conduit and we can help move that mountain for them to offer them something that they would truly love to have and it would be a great work in the kingdom. So how's this going to work? Next Sunday on this next slide is just a quick explanation of how this will work. We'll take up a collection as we always do. But then the plates will be passed a second time. And we believe that somewhere around $70,000 would purchase them a building. What if everybody could average, when the plate is passed the second time, what if everybody could average twice their weekly contribution? Now, please realize, we're not telling you what to give. And we're not telling you to feel guilty if you can't do that. That's not at all. We're just trying to paint a picture of how this could be realistic. We need somewhere around 70000 It's about twice our, our, our weekly budget. And I know that there are some here that probably you just can't do three times your regular contribution next week. But you know, there's others of us here that can. And there's others that can do a lot more. And I want to challenge you. Not that we all will give the same next Sunday, but let's all sacrifice the same. Let's all dig deeply. And what God has already given to us, let's give back in return. On this next slide, I want to remind you that it really comes down in part to stewardship. Listen, God is the one that opened the door back in the 90s to send the Mount Juliet congregation into this work. We need to stop and ask ourselves, are we going to invest in this and continue this? 
Are we going to start pulling back when it requires a little bit of sacrifice on our part? And I know your heart. And I know that's not Mount Juliet. And I know that's not the children of God. And so let's make sure that because of our love for God and because of the hope that we have, let's make sure that we're willing to give generously and support. There's just tremendous quotes that, that I could offer to you. I just want you to think about this one and and. I'll wrap up this part of it and we'll have to look quickly at 2 Corinthians. But David Burke, he says that brings tears to his eyes. And if you know Miss Nancy, it'll bring tears to your eyes. Miss Nancy was a great, great woman here, a rich part of the heritage of the Mount congregation for a lot of years. He says, I recall the day one of the older ladies called me over to see her. This is David Burke. He says, with a big smile on her face, she opened her purse and she pulled out a dog-eared picture of Nancy Hackney. And she told me with tears in her eyes that this lady was the reason that she was a Christian. Listen, it is amazing how God uses us. And it's not that we're worthy to be involved in the great work that God gives us to do. The work that we're a part of is greater than any of us. But how grateful we ought to be that God invites us into his work. I want to encourage you to remember Proverbs 19 and 17. He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord and he will pay back what he has given. Do you have something that you can give to our brothers and sisters that are less fortunate than you and I? God will give it back. That's a guarantee. That's a guarantee in writing from God. But it just requires our faith and it requires our sacrifice, but it could do so much good. I hope you'll be prayerful about that. I want to take your eyes quickly for the last four or five minutes that we have. And, and maybe we can come back next week and develop this more fully because this passage right here is amazing. I want you to see there in 2 Corinthians five fourteen and 15, that strong phrase when he says, for the love of Christ compels us. That word compel is literally the idea of arrest or to take hold of. It's the idea of kind of moving one. Now let that sink in. The love of Christ compels. The love of Christ arrests. The love of Christ takes over. Why should you and I be involved in the Lord's work? Whether it's given generously next week, whether it's going on a campaign in March to El Salvador, whether it's going to our co-worker and talking to them about our Lord, why should we make any movement? And right here is the heart of it all. The love of Christ is what ought to arrest us. It is for the great love of Christ that ought to move us forward in all that he asks us to do. And please note this. God is not asking us to be involved in anything that he hasn't already invested everything. I want to take your eyes to the last verse of this chapter again. And I believe after you see this verse this morning, I'm going to guess that some of us will never look at this verse the same. Look again at 21. And I want you to read this with God saying to us, keep this in mind. God is saying, this was my commission. You know, we talk about the great commission that God's given us. Well, what about the commission that God gave himself? Look at the commission that God gave himself. 
For he, that's God, made him, that's Christ, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Listen, before God ever made a great commission and gave to us, God took upon himself the mission to say, I'm going to design a scheme of redemption. Ephesians 1, before the foundation of the earth was even laid. And I'm going to redeem mankind. And it's going to require a cost. My son is going to die for the sins of the world. It's going to require a sacrifice. I'm going to have to watch my son die. I'm going to have to hold back and not do anything when my son looks up and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Listen, before God ever invited you and I to become a part of the Great Commission, he went out himself and became the mission. The mission to send his son. The mission to redeem us. And once he fulfilled his mission, he then invited us to be a part of this reconciliation. Would you glance back in your Bible to verse 18, 19, and 20? And I'd like for you to notice how many times the word reconciled is used. I'd like for you to notice at the end of 18 where he's talking about us being reconciled earlier in 18. At the end, he says, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And then in 19, he mentions again what God did, his mission to reconcile. But then notice at the end of 19, he says, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. And then in 20, he says, we are ambassadors for Christ. Do you see what's happening here? Because of what God has done, now he says, I want you to have a ministry of what? Of reconciling. Will you go out and try to bring people and God back together again? It's a ministry of reconciliation. What part can you have in that? What part will we as a congregation have in that in the future? We don't know. Because notice, we're part of God's ministry. It's not that you and I plan every phase and design everything. Do you think in 1990 when the Mount Juliet congregation came involved in Ukraine that we said, okay, 20 or so years later, we're going to also get involved in trying to build them a building. We didn't know that. But I assure you, God did. The ministry of reconciliation looks a lot differently at different points in times, what it asks of us, what it requires of us. But where does all of the doctrine come from? Notice it was the word of reconciliation. What is this book? This is a beautiful word of God that teaches man how to come back into a righteous relationship with the Father again through Jesus Christ. And it can only happen, that is, going around the whole world if Christians take serious the Great Commission. And that's where he says, I want you to become ambassadors. I don't want you to just go out and act like it's no big deal. He says, I'm looking for people who are official. I'm looking for people that will speak with authority on my behalf. I'm looking for people that will take this charge seriously. Will somebody be an ambassador for Christ? Okay, Lord, who do you want it to be? Every Christian. I want every Christian to see that they have a place to be an ambassador. So where's that leave us? 
when we step out of the world and into Christ, it leaves us as the new us. Look in 2 Corinthians 5 and 16. There is a new you if you are a Christian. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. And then Paul thinks back about the changes that he had, even in noticing Christ. And then look at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, Paul uses that phrase 169 times in the Bible, in Christ is significant. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. What we need, what we must make sure that we never fall short of is the desire to be a new creation. Listen, we're asking individuals to be a part of something next Sunday that you and I on our own would never do. We would never make the sacrifices like we're making if it were not for the fact that the love of Christ has compelled us. The God of reconciliation has changed us. We now are not the old person. We are now people of a ministry of reconciliation. There's no greater task that God has given us than to say, I gave everything to reconcile the world to myself. And now I'm inviting you to be a part of that ministry. God's not going to send angels. God's not going to make up another plan. The church is plan A. It's up to the church to spread that good news. You'll notice that there are envelopes in your pew. You won't need these necessarily next week for the offering because it will be a second time that the plate will be passed. But if there's something that you can give at another time, maybe you can't give next week for this and you want to give later, those are there for the weeks that will follow. But will you please carefully consider what can you do? This morning, are you reconciled to God? When everything's said and done, that's all that matters. Are you one with the Father? He's done all that He can do. Christ has done all that He can do. And now it's up to us. If you're ready to be baptized into Christ, notice that in Christ, we'd love to assist you with that this morning. If you're ready to become back, we'd love to pray with you and for you. If we could help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing.